I am a sinner. Do you ever think you might hear that from the pulpit? I've sinned over and over again. Because all sin means is missing the mark. And I'm far from perfect. I miss lots of marks. Don't you miss some marks once in a while? We all do. We are all rampant sinners, if that's what that word really means. It's just part of being human. It's just part of life. Our acceptance of ourselves as imperfect doesn't make it okay to continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, though. The religious quest for redemption is played out in how we respond to our mistakes. It is about whether we make amends, seek forgiveness, or change our behaviors. It's about whether we want to be redeemed. It's about where our heart truly is on the matter. In his book, Bringing God Home, A Traveler's Guide, Unitarian Universalist minister Forrest Church told a compelling story of a death fantasy that he repeatedly had as a child starting when he was about eight years old. He writes, I can't remember how often I succumbed to this fantasy, but I do recall what prompted it, a brutal argument with my mother, the time of day it took place, right before bed, and the thing that triggered them, always a lie. When my mother caught me lying, not, to, not content to leave bad enough alone, I would fabricate more lies to cover up the first one. He tells of this spiraling out of control until his mother explodes in fury and banishes him to his room. From his room in his sorrow, he would fantasize that he might run away in the dark from, from his home on a cold, snowy night. He would feel more alone than ever before, and he would die frozen in the snow. The next morning, he's found by a schoolmate who informs his parents, and they are stricken with grief. They beg him to awaken. He writes, My father becomes distant. My mother moans in disbelief. Through tears of self-recrimination and overcome with grief, she pities me with all her heart. And just as his own self-pity is reaching a peak, his fantasy is interrupted by his bedroom door opening. It is his mother. She hugs him, says that she is sorry, that she loves him very much. They cry together. A calm comes over him as she rocks him to sleep. He writes, my waking nightmare and its aftermath reflect the basic elements of a familiar tale of sin and redemption. First, I abandon love in search of love, flee home to find the comforts of home, destroy myself in order to save myself. Then, through no act of my own, I receive love, find home, and experience salvation. My mother knew nothing of my fantasy. It was not by willfulness or self-pity that I found fulfillment. It entered my room uncoerced and undeserved, like all grace. All I contributed to my own redemption was to long for it and to be willing to receive it when it came.
all we contribute to our own redemption is to long for it and to be willing to receive it when it comes. Does it matter, though, how we long for it? Does it matter why we yearn to be redeemed? Over the last few months, women's health has certainly become a hot topic. Now, in the midst of the heated argument over whether contraceptives should be covered by health insurance, the Susan G. Komen and Planned Parenthood controversy seems almost a distant memory, doesn't it? But it was just a few months ago that the Komen Foundation cut its support of Planned Parenthood, roughly $600,000 annually, that funded breast cancer screenings and other support for breast health. They said it was because Planned Parenthood was under investigation by a congressional inquiry into whether the organization used public funding to fund abortions. Planned Parenthood and its supporters argued that the real reason was anti-abortion sentiments in the leadership of the Komen Foundation. The public outcry was swift and decisive. In fact, within days, Planned Parenthood had more than recouped the lost funds, raising $3 million. Soon, the pressure became too much, and not only was the decision reversed and the funding reinstated, but the chairwoman of the board, who had been seen as the driving force to the defunding due to her public anti-abortion stance, resigned. They issued a statement that read, We want to apologize to the American public for recent decisions that cast doubt about our commitment to our mission of saving women's lives. Now, if it's not clear already, I should be transparent on where I stand on this issue. I stood firmly with Planned Parenthood, which has provided me with health care throughout my young adulthood and whose mission I strongly believe in. So perhaps I'm a bit biased when I read the apology. I'll own that. But as I saw it, the public outcry was so huge and the publicity against Komen was so overwhelming, they had little choice but to change their minds. Like any large corporation or nonprofit that had made a public mistake, they got rid of the scapegoat to make it clear that they were serious. But it struck me as a bit forced insincere or hollow. And I wonder if they have been redeemed. If they meant it truly in their hearts that I am sorry to them for my lack of faith. If they have learned something about themselves and how they wish to be in the world and had a true change of heart, then I will gladly support their efforts to save the lives of women but if they merely caved to overwhelming public pressure because they felt that they had to, then I'm not really that impressed. Regardless of whether they are redeemed in that sense, the story makes me wonder about how much the purity of our desire for redemption affects whether or not we receive it. Must we sincerely apologize in order to be redeemed? We heard another apology this week from all of the women's health craziness. Rush Limbaugh, after having lost many corporate sponsors, has publicly apologized for his statement likening a young student and activist who wants her birth control and others' birth control to be covered by her health insurance. 
likening her to a slut or a prostitute. Did anyone buy that apology? Anyone? Now, while I believe that we are all sinners and all saved, that we are all inherently good and special children of God, there are some people who consistently breed hate and fear in the world without remorse. While I might struggle to see the beauty in them, it is there. But that doesn't mean that I should necessarily be in relationship with those people, those people who are not concerned with doing the work of love, but are concerned with working against love. While Rush Limbaugh is redeemed in the ultimate sense of the word, to me, his actions are not. His apologies ring terribly hollow. And without the pure and heartfelt desire for redemption from our sins, I question whether people deserve it. Yet I know that redemption is undeserved. Redemption is open to all, no matter what. For who am I to say that I know what is in someone else's heart? I can choose not to listen to Rush Limbaugh or to give money to Susan G. Komen for the cure because I may not feel that they have redeemed their actions. But ultimately, I do not know if they have, and it is not up to me to judge. Who am I to presume to know whether they are sincere? The only way I can know whether someone sincerely wishes for redemption of their sins is that they change their behaviors, sin differently, make different mistakes. But in the end, my universalist faith tells me that all are redeemed, that we do not earn our redemption. Every being even ones that promote hate and fear in the world, are special, precious. Every being is loved. Each is a blessing in some way. Even those of us who have some hollow place inside us that we try to fill with all of the wrong things. Even those of us who are in such pain that we lash out and hurt others. We are all welcome in the beloved community. We are all building a land of promise and joy together. We are all learning and teaching one another. We are all redeemed. May it be so. Amen.